In this episode of 92Y Talks, a panel of writers and activists, including Raquel Cepeda, C. Nicole Mason, Linda Sarsour, Rebecca Tracer, and Michaela Angela Davis, discuss a range of issues from leaning in to respectability politics to the future of feminism and the power of storytelling to accelerate social change. It was recorded on September 22, 2016, before a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Hi, y'all. So this panel is so dope. I'm just, oh, hey. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna do it. I'm not gonna tell a joke. I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna bring them all out because this is rare and we don't have that much time. And it's t- Come on out, ladies, everybody. <laughs> we don't have anywhere. time. Okay, so, um, so unlike you know reading a, a short bio. Oh, also I, I am not the editorial brand manager of BT, so I just need to say that so y'all don't don't nobody pull me over and tell me what's not happening um, with the blacks. Um, so because <laughs> that happens. Um, what I would like for y'all to do is just introduce yourself in the way that you want to um, to the good people and and also. Locate yourself in this bat. What, what, what is the, what was this panel um, advertised as? What bat, was it called? Well, well, no, I want to hear from y'all. What did y'all hear it to be? Okay, so what it really is is badass feminists. <laughs> okay, so we all are badass femis- feminists. So that's really the 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 locale. That, um, that I would love for you to sort of put yourself in, um, who you are, and this idea of badass feminism. So, um, really happy to be here. And when I went to Christine to propose the panel, um, I did propose the badass feminist panel. That was the title. And she said, well, let's, let's do something a little more palatable. <laughs> and so, um, But um, really, when we were thinking about pulling it together, I was really intent on bringing um, voices and women together who I thought were really badass feminists. Um, For me, what that looks like is, why am I a badass feminist? Mm -hmm. Um, In my daily life, um, being able to push back against um, what it means. Did you say your name? No, I just started talking. I just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My name is Nicole Mason. I have to say something. That's it. Okay. So, um, one of the things I think that makes me, or I consider myself a badass feminist, is just really doing whatever I want, whenever I want to, um, pushing against boundaries, and um, have started as of late to embrace this idea of being difficult and considering myself difficult and what that means um, in a society that um, tells women that they they have a place and that they shouldn't be difficult and there are rules that they should follow. Um, um, The identity, the piece of me um, that I want to bring forth today, um, I'm a single mother by choice, queer single mother by choice, and um, researcher, activist, and writer, and I just continue to do my feminist activist work um, in a myriad of ways. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm Rebecca Traster. I'm a journalist, uh, and I cover women in politics, media, and culture from a feminist perspective. And I think we're going to talk a lot about what that means, mm -hmm. what that phrase means. Um, in, in my case right now, and it's evolved in my career, that means looking at all kinds of um, angles of the world um, from a perspective that considers gender, race, class. Um, and I, I write for New York Magazine right now. I am covering the election, which is what I'm spending an, a disproportionate amount of my time on. Um, and I published a book this year on unmarried women um, called All the Single Ladies. Um, and uh, You can I, clap for that. I <laughs> Um, and I am, I'm, extremely, I'm extremely thrilled and flattered to have been asked to a panel called Badass Feminist. <laughs> so um, I think I'm not, I, I, I'm in a funny place because I am a journalist and an opinion writer. So mm -hmm. I'm very, mm -hmm. I'm free with my opinions. I'm not, I don't, I don't, the, the, I don't have to subscribe to the, to the myth of journalistic objectivity, which I believe is always a myth. But mm -hmm. um, I get to be very... Um, vocal in my opinions. But at the same time, I am not an activist. I am writing, uh, you know, and it's a funny line. Um, because there's some line, even though I try to be persuasive, in, especially in some of my work, I am not, by trade, an advocate. So I think that, you know, my perspective um, is shaped a little bit by that. I am in the process of making sense of feminism and how we define it. But I'm also slightly on the outside of it, observing and trying to chronicle how the, the conversations around it develop. I'm, my name is Raquel Cepeda. Um, if you insist, Cepeda, but I insist Cepeda. <laughs> and after, after five, it's Cepeda Jenkins, because I'm married to my best friend, uh, Sasha Jenkins. And I'm somewhere in between both of y'all. Um, I've been a writer for over 20 years. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I made a film called Bling, A Planet Rock, which was produced by the United Nations Development Program and VH1 about um, hip hop's obsession with diamonds and how that intersected itself in the war in Sierra Leone. I am mm -hmm. um, an author of the, actually, the, unfortunately, of the first non-academic uh, memoir, non-fiction memoir by a Dominican-American author. And um, I am, if I have to locate myself, I would say that I've always kind of rejected the term feminism because if it's um, hyper-racist uh, 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 history, and I've kind of, growing up in the 80s, kind of ex uh, been like a, a melange of um, mujerista and womanist. So I would say mm. womanista or... <laughs> Woman, I don't know, some combination of, of, of the two. And I'm kind of in, in, in the space of negotiating liminality, not being, you know, kind of existing outside, especially um, on my podcast, our national conversations about conversations about race. You can clap for that too, I can't <laughs> that. Um, which I co founded with uh, two other authors, Baratunde Thurston and Tanner Colby, who I'm sure you guys know mm -hmm. by now. Um, I'm always starting from the space outside the binary black and white conversation. So I'm not only outside of it, I'm on the fringes and on the margins of that, which is very frustrating. But in that, I would say I was a cultural activist, but, not, but like uh, Rebecca, not really advocating, but just trying to um, shed light on issues through my work. And I'm, happy to, I'm really happy to be here because this is the most diverse. You guys, if you guys have heard my uh, podcast, you know I don't like the word diversity. So amalgamagical or varied or, you know, kind of <laughs> sexy, cool ass. I've never been, actually for worse, I've never seen such a variety of faces and voices represented at the Y. 
And it's actually not a good thing, but mm -hmm. I'm happy that we're here to set it off and I'm hoping that you guys enjoy the conversation. So good evening, everyone. My name is uh, Linda Sarasua. I'm a racial justice and civil rights activist here, born and raised in Brooklyn. I'm a Palestinian Muslim American. I'm an executive director of a nonprofit organization here that serves refugees, asylees, and immigrants out in Brooklyn. Um, I also am the co-founder of the first Muslim online organizing platform called Empower Change, which is like the Muslim version of MoveOn.org. Um, I don't know. If um, I think where I put myself, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of with Raquel, like I don't like to be called a feminist, even though I believe um, in a lot of the uh, potential components of what feminism is. But just recently as you, and, and why this conversation is important to me right now is that I think um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of problems or the feminist movement is quite problematic in, in, in talking about what women wear, when they wear. And as a Muslim woman who covers her hair, as a Muslim woman who you know, practices modesty, I have a problem with um, some of the rhetoric that comes out of the feminist movement, um, it, particularly in the West. Um, and I think that uh, my job in the, quote, feminist movement is really to push those boundaries and to challenge the notions of what does it mean to be a, quote, free woman or what does it mean to be a free thinker. Um, and I often don't feel welcomed in the larger feminist movement, although I do believe in a lot of the core mission and principles of that movement. So I see what we're going to start talking about. <laughs> um, you know, part of how I, um, I consider my ba myself a badass feminist because I choose to love black women in, the pu in, in public, in the light, and support them, and say I love you, and, and ride for them, and say I'm, I am here for black women. I say that once a week on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> and then. That is my on-ramp to humanity. That is not saying, when I say I'm here for black women, that does not mean that I am not here for anybody else. It's just my on-ramp. That's the way I can get into the world, is through that lens. What, what I've heard is a lot of, um, of just like making sure that, that, like being careful around the word feminist, which I think is really interesting. So I want to get, get in, in, into that, right? Like, what is it, um, and why is it, even now when you know you have the word feminist behind Beyonce, like 6,000 <laughs> feet tall, we're still having a problem with it. I, I know one of the critiques that, I, that I've recently had, um, I had a really hard time talking about Charleston, right? It was horrific for me. Like, it was, for me, I mean, obviously, it was really, really hard time, obvious hard time. None of my white feminist friends even called me to ask me how I was doing. No one asked me for a cup of tea. Are you all right? Not like, can I get in a struggle with you, but Michaela, are you all right? And so my critique often is, you know, when shit goes down, whether it's Sandra Bland or whatever, whatever, I don't see my white feminist friends. That's my, that's, that's been my experience. Why do you think that almost everyone was qualifying why they are or are not a feminist? Just right now. So um, I've been, so right now I feel like I've identified as a feminist for about two decades now. So I do identify as a feminist. And I think it's, I've, um, I've. You can clap for that. Y'all <laughs> <laughs> um, clap for everything, because clapping changes the energy, so. Um, yes. And, um, you know, been engaged in the women's movement for as long. And. One of the things that I'm still struggling with is 
how do we all show up for each other mm -hmm. as feminists? And how do we have a feminist movement that is also about racial justice and economic justice? That's and right. um, mm -hmm. not very narrowly defined as reproductive, reproductive rights, not justice. And, um, you know, as a person who is, who identifies as feminist, as a black woman who identifies as a feminist, mm -hmm. um, that's really been tough. And in these moments where um, it is time for us to talk, we, when we talk about feminism and, and in the circles I run in, we talk about these ideas, these shared values. Mm -hmm. And what breaks my heart is that when it comes time to show up and live those shared values, there's silence. Can you articulate some of the, what, what you, those shared values, can you articulate some um, Justice, equality, living free of violence, mm -hmm. um, um, uh, um, um, shared values, um, equity, mm -hmm. um, being able just to, to be free, mm -hmm. to walk in the street without fear of harm, mm -hmm. um, and um, also free to pursue um, you know, whatever your goals, your passion is without interference from the state or others. That's how I see it. Okay. And when my white feminist friends or feminists or people who identify as feminists don't show up for the kinds of things, for example, Tulsa in this moment, I'm, mm. you know, mm -hmm. um, it, it breaks my heart and, it, and I wonder about the solidarity. Um, okay. So, th so that's what I mean. And I think that's where there's a lot of hesitancy here. And it, but as a person who has identified as a feminist, um, it, you know, I'm really um, struggling to hold up that space. Mm. Yeah, I identify as a feminist. I identify as a black feminist. Right. All right. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> and and yes. very, yes. very yes. intentionally, because so, um, Rebecca, I know you don't identify as a black feminist. I but do not. I'm, um, a, I'm, I'm a white feminist TM. Like, I'm, a, I'm, like the, I'm white feminist. <laughs> you're, I, you're general market I, I try to show up. <laughs> Although, interestingly, what you just said, it's, you know, in my work, and it's been, and, it's, uh, and it has been um, learning for me um, to be better and think more and know more and learn more about showing up. But what you said really struck me because... He said Charleston. Mm -hmm. So my job, I wrote about Charleston. Mm. And when it happened, I was, uh, you know, did I call my friends? Mm -hmm. No, I don't think I did. So that's an interesting, I mean, that's like another piece of it. I wrote, I wrote about it, I've written about it, you know, many times since. I do um, find myself increasingly. Do you still think about it? Rebecca? All the time. Me too. All the time. Charleston, mm -hmm. all the time. Me too. I, I wish, I mean, it's, and I, I want to be, I want to be really clear about that. Mm -hmm. Charleston, all the time. Not everything all the time, right? right? And, right. and there's a lot of it that I shut out. Right. I have to tell you, like, I, I mean, I had a conversation with um, a friend of mine this afternoon um, who is a black feminist um, who said that she hadn't, she hadn't been able to read about what was happening in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. She hadn't been able to read the particulars mm -hmm. of the case. And, she, you know, and I said that it had taken me longer than it should have to read about Tulsa. Mm -hmm. There are, so I don't want to, like, I, I definitely do not want to be like, <laughs> I am, no. Charleston, I think But there about was something particular the about yeah. Charleston, right? Yeah. Okay, all right, yeah. Thank you for. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think about Freddie Grail. Like, mm -hmm. there are certain things that I mm -hmm. think about all the time and certain things that I, certain events that I don't, and yeah. I don't know what, anyway. 
In terms of the different takes on feminism, one of the things that's interesting to me, and I've also been trying to learn history, a lot of which I learned from Brittany. Mm -hmm. and, um, <laughs> we all learn from we Brittany. We all learn from Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so one of the things about feminism or the women's movement, as it has always been loosely defined, and it has always been loosely defined, is that it's always been a movement that has been defined by its cacophony and, and uh, struggle and mm -hmm a struggle over how to define it, what's it, what it's for, what its priorities are or should be, who is doing the work of pushing it forward versus who is getting the public credit and narrative mm. for who's pushed it forward. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the stuff that we're, that everybody's saying up on stage, whether or not, and, and, I, and you know, whether or not individuals make decisions about whether to reject the term or, or embrace it or modify it or whatever. This is characteristic, I would say, of the history of whatever you want to call it, the movement um, around gender equality as it is also tied to so many other paths toward greater equality. This, is this conversation is 100% characteristic of how it has been through its history, which is um, both encomp encompassing dissent um, and hmm. so that, uh, that's, uh, that's the observation I would make as somebody who's been trying to learn more about the history. Mm -hmm. um, you said hyper-racist uh, history mm -hmm. around the feminist movement. Can you unpack that? Like, why, why did you qualify it well, that way? Well, I mean, I, you know, we've all, I've taken all the courses when I was in college, and I won't even mention them because that was miseducated, I believe, in, in, in schools, in the schools in America. And um, that's why I wear this shirt, because one of my agendas, um, when my new film comes out, is to decolonize history, is to create a, a curriculum that does that. Because What's I don't the name see of um, some girls. It's about a, a group of young, it's a documentary about a group of young uh, Latina teens who suffer from suicide ideation and depression, mm -hmm. who are transformed by a, um, by an exploration of their roots, which one of the uh, paths that we take is mitochondrial DNA testing. Mm. And through discovering something in themselves, whether it's part of their ancestry that, ex that, that, that survived through fragments, they in turn place themselves in history. Mm. So and then mm -hmm. I take them to the Dominican Republic and the island of Haiti or Hispaniola where, uh, the, where the Americas began. Um, because to be Latino is to be American. Mm -hmm. Even though today I struggle with the fact that we're so invisible. So when I say that, I sometimes, you know, when I see, you know, I have many feminist friends and I agree, I'm always for, first and foremost about women's reproductive rights and our, you know, and our advancement, whether we're white, black, purple, I don't care what, you know, where, where you come from. But I feel because Latino Americans, like so many other of like, I've had this conversation with friends of mine that are Muslims as well and people that are from the uh, Middle East, um, that descend from the Middle East, we, you feel like they're, you're invisible. So you have like, you know, I'm not nullifying, for example, um, um, the deaths of uh, Mr. Sterling and, uh, and Castile. But in that same week, five Latinos died and nobody rallied really for mm -hmm. them, even though we are, we share the histories. We're so, we're so obsessed mm -hmm. with shoving ourselves in North America into these racial checkboxes that sometimes you can't see because of the, these border walls, mm -hmm. the shared social, historical, transatlantic histories that people of colors share. Mm -hmm. So we have this in common. You can clap. You, I never say anything that's popular. That's a, it, doesn't fit, it, doesn't ever, it doesn't fit into one box or the other. It kind of mm -hmm. makes people uncomfortable, but I feel like we have to get there in order to like get to the next, right? 
right. get to the next to the next place. So I feel like sometimes, do I really can I really call myself a feminist when you know when I see people and it's it's all good, it's all cool, but really coalescing, I don't really see enough of a coalescing with you know a Latino Americans, Middle Eastern people that are non that exist exist outside of the black and white binary kind of framework that we see everything mm. in. Um, in this country, in this, in North America. Yeah, I have a friend, uh, an artist, uh, Teresita Fernandez, who's amazing, who was telling me a friend of hers had done a, a big piece about um, lynching, like Mexican Mexicans. lynching. Uh -huh. And then I started, like, I had, I didn't even, mm -hmm. I didn't know, you yeah. know. And then I started doing some research, and then, you know, also, so that, I mean, I don't like to play pain politics, like that's mm -hmm. really our connected tissue, but. It, it, something happened when I learned that they, they were, that, that that we had that sh that very specific shared um, experience. Why do you think that that those kind of histories are suppressed? Because we 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 live in it. In a, I, I think first of all, North America. I think it's the best country in the world, mm -hmm. especially New York. I'm a New York snob. I never say my parents are Dominican, but I always say I'm Dom I'm a Dominican Yorker because <laughs> I freaking love being from here. If I grew up in, in the Dominican Republic, I've even been told over there, you would have been in trouble. Mm. You would not have made it. You would have been, you know, I would have, it, all, you know, we are also, we come from a, a, a history that's had a lot of um, rats and a lot of snitches and a lot of, like, people that were down with, you know, the United States that sold their own people out. We had dictatorships. We had, um, I'm sure many of you have heard of uh, Trujillo. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then we're only a few generations removed, so we have a generation, my grandparents' generation, who's still afraid of authority, of, of pressing anything, of, mm -hmm. you know, it's still, and it still kind of uh, imposes their PTSD on my generation. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of thing that we're dealing with. But at the same time, you think about it, and you're like, oh, you know, uh, you talk to your grandparents, you're like, well, how do you not know that you when know, Trujillo went in power, one of the first things he did was he took the drum out of the merengue because it was too African. Yes. He made it illegal for people to, to practice um, African religions um, uh, in, in the country. You could be, you'd have to go underground. So much of that history. We had our first slave revolt was in 1521. Mm. 300 years before our brothers and sisters in, in, on the west side revolted and set all of us free, right? So there's all these connections, all of these, there's many, many uh, stories. Like one of the, I, I took these, I took my, um, to the girls that are in my film to where we had the second largest um, a slave rebellion in the, in the New World with Haitians. With ha so we got together and we were like, you know, fighting for freedom together. But this kind of history, when you learn, when you teach it, and you kind of instill some kind of pride and self-worth, it's harder to um, control. It's harder to control. That's why when you go to school, you always hear about the great white men who founded a North America and how if you try hard, you can do it too, but if you don't make it, it's because you're lazy and your people are lazy. That's not, I think that you start to break people down from jump. Mm -hmm. And how can we get to a place where, let's say, race doesn't matter as much or, or, that you're, or, or we don't have to fight so hard for, for reproductive rights or for equality? Where do we get to that place? Where do we get to, if we don't start decolonizing history from the very, from the way that we see each other, the way that we see race, the way that we see history, and our places in it from the beginning. So that's kind of been more of my focus. And also, you know, sometimes I feel like the feminist friends that I have that are amazing and so, the smartest people on the planet, I try to take that language and that academies and kind of make it palatable um, to people that are on the street. Because I feel like my calling is to kind of be in the in in with the masses, if you will. And how do you make these 
very complex and kind of intimidating words, accessible and sexy to that, mm -hmm. to that community. So Linda, I saw you shaking your head on a few things, especially when she says she loves New York. Like, yes. Um, I'm a little more particular. I'm more like I'm from Brooklyn, but I'll okay. take the New York City, too. <laughs> I'm from uptown, okay, which I think is better than Brooklyn. I don't but know. Whatever. <laughs> um, but you, I saw you, you know, this sort of physical solidarity with a lot of things that she was saying. Um, and so you can pick up on any of those from Brooklyn on. I'm not from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> um, I think for me, um, I think I've been labeled a feminist, and that's why, so oh. from the outside, people will say I was in this refinery video, to, you know, talking about feminism and actually describe and explain, like, my relationship to the word, word feminism. I think my struggle is that lots of people in the, you know, whatever you want to call it, feminist movement or the women's rights mm -hmm. movement, see people like me and think I'm an anomaly, like I'm some, like, freed Muslim woman, like, I must be so, I'm, I don't, what did I do, what kind of rebellion did I have to go through to be who I am today? Mm -hmm. um, the stereotype that some, somehow Muslim women um, need, you know, are, the reason why I am this way is because I was freed by the, you know, Western feminism freed me, and because, oh, of course you're like that because you live in New York City because you were born here. Mm with this idea that if you went to the Middle East, you, would, you wouldn't find women like the So you're a magical Muslim. I'm a magical Muslim. <laughs> a unicorn, a unicorn Muslim. And it, and it, and it kind of like, you know, and, it, and I, it bothers me on the inside, you know, that people think that if you went to Palestine, where my family's from, or if you went to, you know, Lebanon or Syria or even Pakistan, that there aren't women who are strong and strong-willed and educated, that somehow we're all a bunch of pe peasant-looking women somewhere where some mm. our husbands are beating us somewhere. You know, that's like a big stereotype and kind of vision that people have. I think also when you think about the reproductive rights movement in this country, why aren't there more Muslim women involved in it? Is it because people think, because we're Muslim and we follow some conservative religion that we don't have a place in the reproductive rights movement, when in fact Islam in particular is actually the most progressive when it comes to issues of abortion, for example, believe it or not. Like, hmm. abortion is not banned in Islam. So, like, these kinds of misconceptions actually keep us on the margins <coughs> of the women's rights movement because people don't take the chance to build those relationships and understand where we're coming from. So the default position is just not to invite people to the work, right? What do you think the benefit is of keeping women of color or Muslims on the margins? Like, what, what do you think is the benefit to, you know, people keep people out for reasons? Yeah, so we don't like, coalesce. If you coalesce and you create, and you, and you create one mighty nation mm -hmm. of, like, people, you know, of color, and then, we, and then with white women, feminists, you know, mm -hmm. strong women, womenists, mujeristas, whatever, mm -hmm. women that love women, mm -hmm. um, when we all come together and you become one force, that's kind of scary. Rebecca, go ahead. I'm so no, I'm just nodding with you. I so I think that's the. I mean, I do think that's it. I think that's one of the ways that um, power reproduces itself is that those at the center set those on the margins who should be natural allies against each other, and that's so much of the history mm. that we're talking about. I mean, this, I'm, I'm going to give one electoral example, and it, uh, people might object to it, but I wrote my first book about women: um, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, and Sarah Palin in the 2000 election, 2008 election. And I looked at that election really closely, and of course one of the things that happened if you were on the left was this tremendous, painful division, mm. right? Black man, white woman. Of course, first of all, black women are erased from this narrative. This is long history in the United States and the way that, that it's been. But one of the things that you could see happen is the first time, first time there was going to be a seat at the white guy's table. And who is fighting for that seat? Of course, a white woman, a black man, and all of the baggage of that history, it comes to bear on that. Mm. Now, I... I'm looking around now, mm -hmm. 
And one of the things that I am seeing is that this, we're in the midst of an extremely intense moment of fury, of racist and sexist backlash that is intense and violent and horrible. And one of the things that I was watching that Democratic convention, and for me, the moment that like crystallized it was the moment when Barack Obama gave his speech and Hillary Clinton comes out after, and they're, to get, they're running. Th mm -hmm. This is just this one little symbolic <laughs> example, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is the fear, uh, right? Mm -hmm. It's, in a way, more comfortable when you can set people apart from each other and divide them. The real threat, where people go into spasm, is when those people unite in some way. That is, and so I'm just, all that is just to say that I completely agree with you that, it, and you're a great point, that the, the, the division in part serves a purpose for people at the center of power. I, I think, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I think the other um, reason why is because we, we're complex people, right? So when you invite people of color or you invite Muslims to the table, we bring other stuff with us, you know? And we're not just like, I don't come to the woman to the table as a woman only. I come to this table as someone who's Palestinian. I'm walking controversy. Like, I don't even have to open my mouth. I just got to tell you I'm Palestinian <laughs> and it's done, right? You know, I'm also Muslim, right? I'm also coming from a community that's accepting refugees. I'm connected to a history in another part of the world where my taxpayer dollars and my participation in a government here is killing my people across the world. So I bring a lot of that to the table, and I'm not going to leave stuff out to make you feel comfortable. And I think a lot of times in movements, especially ones that don't want to be intersectional, they want you to be like, okay, you could come to the table, but you can't be bringing that other stuff with you to the table. Right. And for me, and one of the, and I, I'm, very, I'm, I'm a very picky, choosy activist in the way that I organize and who I organize with, I want to come as a whole person. I want you to accept me in everything that I bring, modesty, I don't want to wear mini skirts, but you know what? Y'all can wear a bikini to a meeting. I don't care, right? Mm -hmm. And I also want to be everything that I bring. I want to bring my community to the table and the concerns and the issues that I need addressed at the table. And I think I can't be fighting for women's rights if I'm not addressing poverty. I can't invite. I can't be fighting for reproductive rights if I'm not talking about racial justice and religious justice in this country. I, this, the, these, these places that allow you to be cut into different pieces. Like I don't want to be in those spaces. For, and for me, oftentimes the quote, feminist movement or these feminist spaces, I feel like I'm not a whole person um, in those spaces. And I just want to give an example because I feel like maybe we have to articulate what we mean when we say the feminist movement needs to show up. So for example, you, talk, you talked about that for you, feminism is like, I want to be able to walk around and not feel threatened or feel like I'm going to get assaulted in the street. Your Muslim sisters are wearing hijab and they're getting assaulted across mm. the city, you know? Mm. I want women to stand up and say, not in my city, not on my watch as a woman, Women, all women, black women, any woman should be able to walk down the street and not be sexually harassed or physically assaulted for who they are. And unfortunately, we have hate crimes exponentially, like increased exponentially in this country by 1,500%. And guess who the majority of those victims are? Muslim women. Mm -hmm. So where are, where, are, where are the feminists? Where are our sisters to come out and say, mm -hmm. no, women shouldn't be pushing strollers with babies in Brooklyn and Bensonhurst and be beat down on the street to the point to the, this by the way, it just happened like eight days ago, where the, a 15 month old baby falls out of the stroller. Like this is happening here in Brooklyn. This ain't Mississippi, this ain't you know, Alabama, this is right here in the cosmopolitan, metropolitan New York. And that's kind of what keeps me away from this whole like, I wanna be down, because I wanna be in a place with women. I wanna be in a place of healing. But if you ain't coming out for me, then I'm gonna be where I'm gonna be, where people are coming out for me. And right now, that place for me is in the movement for black lives. Like, mm -hmm. that's where my sisterhood is right now. Mm -hmm. And to your point about saying, um, you know, this, this, this concept of, you know, radical love, right, which is what I want as a woman, is mm -hmm. coming from that movement right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm attracted to that movement, because it's taught me about self-love for myself. As much as people are hurt and in pain in that movement, mm -hmm. 
there's so much radical love there. And what I think the feminist movement is missing is a very basic concept. If black women are not free in this country, none of us are free. So I don't care if I'm Muslim, Jewish, whatever you are, like I'm not gonna ever be free if I'm not invested in the freedom of black women in this country in particular. So that's the other disconnect that I see. I don't think as a moderator I ever clapped. Um, I don't believe you. You didn't believe? I don't no, believe that, you. You don't believe? No, I, just, I was just like, why have I, I started the clap. Um, so, can I just add something to yeah, something that sure. you're saying? I feel like sometimes even these these movements, these impulses, the, the, these feminist impulses don't have to be like extremely overbearing. They can be things like, you know, I've been more cognizant, for example, of making sure I make eye contact with women in hijab and mm -hmm. smile mm -hmm. because we're more similar than we are than we are different. Also, I want them to feel protected in my neighborhood. In my neighborhood, we actually have a growing, um, I'm noticing a growing uh, a, a demo of Dominican uh, women that, mm -hmm. are, that are going yep. back into Islam. And I say going back because mm. they, we had a huge um, influx of Palestinian, Syrians, and, um, and other Middle Eastern people going to the Dominican Republic mm -hmm. in, in, in Haiti in the uh, 19th and 20th centuries. So once we start talking and learning about each other, we start to see that we have all these things in common, and you kind of become even more vested in saying, look, the, 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 the fight for black women is all of us. It's our, all, you know, is, is, is Middle Eastern women and women of Latino descent. We have this we have this thing in common. Um, indigenous American, First Peoples, these women, we all have this thing in common. We're all trying to exorcise this PTSD, mm. this mill that we've been through, this grinder that we've been, to, been through called the transatlantic slave trade, whether it's indigenous or, or African. Because uh, you know, I have to say, at the, end, at the bottom of the well, there, the issues are with race. Mm -hmm. As uncomfortable as it is, we have to kind of learn how to, you know. And the other thing that I was gonna say is, you know, about learning about what we have in common. You, it's not in the vested interest of the, the, the powers that be, because you see an example in Arizona and Texas. You have this uh, Mexican-American studies uh, uh, movement, of you know, a very radical movement that I'm sure many of you know about. And you have the, 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 the board, the educational board in this country is based in Texas. And you have these conservatives that are very honest in saying, we don't want to create resentment from, by, you know, Mexican, we don't want Mexicans to feel resentment for our forefathers. Mm -hmm once they learn the truth. So what happens is you learn the truth later by mistake or because you went here, you went, I don't know, you stumble upon, <laughs> upon, the, you know, upon the truth at, a truth at some point, and then you become angry. And then you have all these, you know, it, it, then sometimes you even become radicalized. And I'm not saying only in Islam, I'm saying in any, in any kind of uh, 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 philosophy. And you start to separate yourselves. Now, if you start learning from the, from the time that you're young, whether you're white or black or Latino or, 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 or um, Jewish or Arabic, the commonalities, how we all kind of, you know, went through this together, you'll find that we will have more things in common. And when you find commonalities, you want to work together. So that, that's a good segue into the power of storytelling and, like, how telling our stories helps to expand the narrative and expand the pathway. Um, and I mean, you just put out a piece of work, Nicole. Like, you, why did you tell your story? And what does telling your story um, do? So, um, so I just finished. Uh, it was just published uh, the memoir Born Bright, and thank you. Quite a few people. Everybody knows you. It's hard. Um, but one of the things, as a feminist, uh, I really understand writing to be a political act. And um, 
being able to tell a story that hasn't been told or is missing from the dominant narrative. So one, I agree that there's this idea around feminism that they don't want us to coalesce, but there's also an investment in a dominant narrative about what it looks like, what are the things we should be fighting for, what does the feminist agenda look like? Um, and up to this point, it's been pretty exclusionary. And so for me, being able to tell a different... Can you, can you um, illustrate that a little bit? Exclusionary how? Like, what do you think the dominant, you know... So for me, my feminism, for example, looks... It's racialized, mm -hmm. so it's an intersectional feminist. So we talk, you know, it's classed, it's race, it's um, gendered, it um, has all these different components. It's not just about abortion rights. It's about the freedom to um, be able to control my body and have bodily integrity. So it's about um, talking about the idea that black, black and brown women um, were, uh, face forced sterilization. And so these other kinds of things that kind of get left off out of these um, mainstream feminist conversations. You know, I, I don't know why poverty, like, in particularly in t you know how talking with you know the mainstream feminists, and poverty is hardly ever on the table. Like, and that black and brown women, um, and, and so it's one of the reasons why I really identify as a black feminist because I feel like there are so many women living trapped in poverty. How can I call myself a feminist if, if I'm not trying to tow women out of hell that are literally, and I feel like there's, so. One of the things that's true is that, so when women, when, when feminists, in my experience, when we talk about poverty, we'll talk about issues like childcare. We'll talk right. about wages. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about um, the right to work or to be in the workforce. Um, and ignores the history of black women and brown women who have always been in the workforce. Who want to get out of I want to stay home. Get out, you know, get out. You so, know what I mean? I mean, so even when, <laughs> Michelle, when Michelle Obama was critiqued when she became first lady and said, um, well, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to raise my kids. And people, you know, feminists said, you know, what are you talking about? You're setting us back. And she, um, black women, and um, her to a lesser extent, or, you know, she, did, she wasn't really vocal, but black women said, hey, that is radical. Yes. The idea that she's going to stay home and take care of her children mm -hmm. um, is, a, is, a, is a radical act. And so, so hmm. when we talk about the economic issues that are impacting women uh, that looks through a feminist lens, they're very limited. Hmm. So we don't get to talk about poverty. We don't talk, we don't talk about the ways in which um, labor segmentation um, impacts black and Latino women um, exclusively. So when white women, for example, were going into the workforce and um, going into these jobs and climbing the corporate ladder, black women were not. We were still trapped in, man uh, you know, um, domestics and very um, low-level entry, lo entry jobs. And Latino women were under black women. Yes. And so, mm -hmm. um, so one of the things I wanted to do with Born Bright was talk about um, what, is, what does poverty look like and feel like um, in communities of color, in my family, and talk about my mother and the people in my community in a way that I don't think has been a part of this larger national conversation. Um, there was a piece in the book that got cut. I think Elizabeth, my editor, cut it. Um, Where's Elizabeth? <laughs> Elizabeth is, is right here. Um, <laughs> but there was, there was a line in the book where I'd say, um, I said, it, you know, it's not there anymore, but I say, um, my mother, who was a single mother raising two children, 
on her own um, was doing so in the midst of this, in the, fem in the midst of the feminist movement. Um, and I say, but you know, she was no Gloria Steinem, Alice Walker, or any of these, part of these other larger narratives circulating at the time. She was outside of those narratives. And there was very little room for her in those narratives. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, really wanted to, again, expand this narrative and what we think about poverty and economic security and um, what we think about as a feminist retelling of um, what it's like to be a woman mm -hmm. in America mm -hmm. or a family or young girl. So um, I think it's time Is for y'all, for the, for, the, for the community, mm -hmm. for um, questions. Oh, In the back. I think you'd probably call me a mainstream feminist. Does anybody want to try to tackle that but question? Can I ask of a clarification how? question? Because I think I know the a answer, but it might. But okay, might, sure. Isn't the U.S. One of, one of very few countries that hasn't signed on to CEDAW? Yes. See, that's the like that's just the whole point of this whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the whole point of the conversation. The question is: Is CEDAW intersectional? Because I've been to these UN meetings where there are women from all over the world. Do you want to? Do you want to kind of explain what that is while people? Basically, I mean, my understanding is it's almost like a manifesto, does that make sense? Am I describing it? And it has different components of it that do hit on economic security, gender justice, pretty much all the things that we're talking about here, which we would hope would be the, the wholesome feminist movement. But the irony, right, is that we're the world's superpower and we're imposing Western values on countries abroad, telling them how they should treat women, right? When people tell me, go back to Saudi Arabia, I'm like, let's get it straight here, and then you can tell me to go back to Saudi Arabia. But anyway, but this, this idea that the United States has not, not only did we not sign on to CEDAW, which is specifically looking at, uh, a manifesto that specifically looks at, you know, uh, integrated, like, gender justice, and again, all these other issues, so it looks at women in a whole way. Mm -hmm. Not only are we a the United <coughs> States that hasn't signed on to that, but we also uh, abstained from a vote, I remember, in Geneva around race, like racism. Like, mm -hmm. so, the, so, the, so, so my, my challenge is, and I'm with you, so like, you're, you're, not, you're not having to convince any of us that yeah, we, we should be CEDAW. signing on to CEDAW, but the question, why? Why do we live in a country, an open democracy, right, a country that wants to go save and women in Afghanistan from the Taliban, yeah. but then we can't get our own country to sign on to a manifesto that prioritizes 
women around women and girls around the world. Why do we allow our country to embarrass the out of us? And I want to use that word so bad right now. Shit. Where we go into Geneva. <laughs> oh. oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I think us not signing on to it is a reflection of who's in power and what we're trying to say here. Like, who's in power and what is the interest of the United States not signing on to a manifesto that talks about the elevation, the prioritization of women and girls? Like, that, that's the, that, that, if we can answer that question. For this country, not just internationally. That's what I'm saying, yeah. It's, we're, it, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, male-dominated society keeps women repressed of all colors, of, of all, you know, of all backgrounds. So if they're going to do it to us, why would they sign on to oh, It's got to start here first. Brittany? Um, y'all are all badasses. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fans of everyone here. Uh-huh. I really all your work. Um, so thank you. Um, one of the, so, so I'm listening to y'all, and my challenge is, like, because I'm a try to be a scholar and an activist, mm-hmm. then I, I do believe the politics that says, in the streets, we don't care about labels, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to get free. So if the mm-hmm. cops are coming, I don't care if you call yourself a feminist. Where are we going? But, uh-huh. I, but, but, the, but it's interesting because I saw, I heard everyone on the panel own particular labels that really do resonate. Mm-hmm. And so then there's all the sort of concern about how you, as Michaela said earlier, qualify feminism. And I guess every time I hear that, I just think, but I didn't learn feminism from white women. And I'm not particularly interested in talking to white women about their feminism. Like, I'm interested Mm -hmm. in saying, stop being racist. I'm over here trying to talk to black girls and black Mm -hmm. women about, like, but this dude is coming and beating you up every day, and you keep going back. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so my question becomes, I don't understand feminism as a white woman's thing. Mm -hmm. And I guess... Because they didn't invent the shit, right? They didn't actually invent it. Like, not in the country, not when you look at the histories, not when you look at the archives. They weren't the first women saying it. They weren't the first women advocating for women. And the earliest feminists were indigenous women, depending on whether you want to sort of put a label on them, right? Or black women saying, it free our enslaved sisters. So how, so why do you, so I guess my question is, how why is there such a, every time I heard feminism, what I really heard was the unspoken qualifier of white feminism, mm-hmm. mainstream feminism. Mm. But, the, but the feminist ground I stand on is ground that black women and women of color have built. Mm. And so when you say, I reject this label, while also, for instance, Linda, declaring that we not free unless black women are free, and that's some shit I know black feminists said mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. then how can you say, I don't, I don't rock with this label when the way we understand much of our politics is built on their labor. Like, it feels mm. to me like you have to step over the labor of black women who call themselves feminist to get to the proposition that you won't call yourself a feminist. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't understand the move, right? Mm. Oh, and I, I, I appreciate that very much. I think, I think that just mm. the term feminism in the way that we have experienced it as Muslim women, and in particular my lineage to being a Muslim that whose family comes from another part of the world is that we've been hurt by it. 
we've been killed mm -hmm. by it, right? So when people come and tell me that they're saving me or that, that what I look like isn't feminism because I got to go to Saudi Arabia and save the woman there because, you know, the woman can't drive in Saudi Arabia. You know, like these the people mm. in the, that, that word, is, it's, the word for us, it triggers me, to mm. be honest with you. And I think it is because I'm connecting the word feminism to white feminism and Western feminism in that way. And, mm -hmm. and it's, my, it's my own coping of having to work through that because, the, and you know this, and the work that I do, like, I know whose shoulders I stand on. I know, you know, the, those who sacrificed for me to be and be sitting in this chair here, particularly here as an American. But I think when I think about this idea of, like, the imposition of Western values, and particularly on women in the Middle East, I mean... Horrifying. Mm -hmm. you know, like it's it's like if 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 this this idea of that, you know, we went uh, we went to another part of the world because we don't think people were doing it right there. We tried to impose a democracy on people, and in the interim, we said, oh, we're going to give them democracy because we want to save the women. We want to do democracy there so the women can get rights there. But you killed their husbands and fathers. You left them widows, right? You your, their children got you know, uh, you know birth defects, you know, you went to, you know, you saved women from the, the Taliban, but let's look at Afghanistan right now. Like, you know, yeah, you might have built a school here and there, thank you very much, but let's go to Afghanistan together and see the implications and what is the aftermath. So I think for me, just traveling to that part of the world and mm -hmm. listening to what people, people are asking, like, why? Like, why don't people see us as people with those principles and values already? Who in this world, who, can you please take me to a corner of the world where a woman tells you I don't want to be free or mm -hmm. I don't value em empowerment or I don't value me, myself as a woman, this idea that we only do that in the West, right? And even recently with that whole conversation on, like, burkini, whatever the hell, like, you know, like, yeah. shit, I could go to the damn beach and wear whatever the fuck I want to wear. Excuse my language, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in one of those You, you held it in before. Sorry, I, I, it want, in, I don't want to say in. that word. But, but this conversation that we're always having, but why do they have to do that? Why, instead of being like, who cares? I want somebody to raise their hand and just be like, who gives? So I think I'm... I think I'm in that, you know, situation that, like, you know, when I'm walking down the street, and the same thing for black women or, you know, black, I'm walking down the street, like, people look at me, and I'm a Muslim woman in a hijab, so I'm an easy identifiable target for some reason or of, the way I, of the way that I look. And then people ask me sometimes when they're like, oh, why do you wear that? And they're like, and I'm just like, first, first of all, does it matter? But that's fine. I answer the question. And people don't like the answer. Right, like this, like, but, but where did that answer come from? Like, they want to get deep, and I'm just like, no, like, take me for what I am and, and how I am. So, I think for me, it's a trigger word. I think for me, and I look at when people say radical, like, when people in the movement, you know, this, they say, they say black radical love. Like, I actually don't hear people in the movement specifically say feminist or feminism, at least not the places that I, like, I. Say it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but like, yeah. In, in, I, I see a lot of this, like when I'm in these like Black Lives Matter spaces, like, yeah, some people do say that they're black feminists and I'm cool with that and it doesn't bother me at all because I know, right, when I'm in that space. But just this idea for me of radical love is really what has attracted me in this larger work that somebody told me, don't just love yourself, right? Radically love yourself. And don't just love your people, radically love your people, right? So I don't know, I think it's just that word just is really triggering for me and, and it's like international implications. You know, thank you for saying that because I think a lot of people ha haven't had the language to say that it's triggering. And usually how you, how you de um, deactivate triggers is to have these kind of conversations and also to know the history. You know, when you, when you really talk about whose labor it is, you start to have a different entry mm -hmm. point because a lot of us have all kinds of different um, triggers. And so thank you for saying that because I think that the word feminist does trigger certain women in different ways, but you, you made it very clear.
And can I add something? Yeah, and then this question okay. here. And I just want to add on to what you were saying. So the first time I heard, I'm thinking, as you guys were talking, I was thinking about my own experience. And the first time I heard the word feminism, feminismo, was in the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. My grandmother always told me, I'm not into, I'm not a Catholic. My, my religion is feminism and politics. And I was like, femme, huh. but my, my mother and father, my mother was very young. It was like Romeo and Juliet. And they had, imagine they didn't die, had a baby. And they were like, oh, I don't really love you so much. So I kind of got dumped on my, on, my, um, on, my on my maternal grandparents. And that ended up being a blessing because I ended up, you know, uh, hearing about women that I never read about. And of course, mm -hmm. the ones that we all know about, like Mir the Mirabal sisters and herself, my grandmother, who was, you know, an, a place on the, a very famous enemy of the state list as a teenager. Um, and, I, and I was really, like, really into that idea, right, of strong women. And um, then when I came to New York, I came, in New York, I came to New York in 1981 in April to stay and live with my father and stepmother. And I started, you know, during Women's History Month in school, all I started learning about was white women, white women, white women, to the point where I didn't only become disenfranchised because the women that I'm learning about and people are putting on a platform don't, I don't, I don't find, I, don't, I can't identify with. Um, it's also because it wasn't inclusive of other women, women of color. When I thought, my grandmother told me, you know, Ana Kaona, this uh, indigenous American woman, right, that we all know about. So she was born in, in modern-day Haiti. And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, she was, I, w I told my grandmother, oh, she was a sucker, she'd sell out. She was like fraternizing with, with, with the Spanish when they came. She was like, no, she was lynched. She was literally on, put on a tree and lynched because she would not, she chose death by lynching over becoming a concubine. So, and that, and she told me, think about things differently. Mm -hmm. So I was so excited about that idea, but then somewhere along the line, and I think it has to do with my, heavily colonial way of, 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 of learning everything in this country, I got really turned off and then it became kind of a trigger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, I'm trying to do the work to, to slowly yeah. come back in. But want, bring yeah. some Latinas and, and, and Middle Eastern and because, women of color into, the, you, into it with me. Because then you give up the, the, her, the heritage that your grandmama gave you. Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Your said, this is who I am. Yes. And this is part of me. And so that's the thing is, right, like, I don't, like, I've always known white women to be treacherous. Because I grew up in the deep south, and so I'm—I mean, real talk. Like I've written about this, I own that, mm -hmm. and so I'm never going to give up the heritage of the things my mom and my grandmama mm -hmm. told me though about how to live in the world. And when I read feminism, I was like, well, this this what my mama said, this what my mm -hmm. grandmama said. And so to me, to not claim it is to literally step over the labor that got me here, even when they weren't putting those same words to it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's what's at stake for me. Yeah. yeah. But thank y'all. This helped. Me. Yeah, and just one last really quick thing. Um, okay. I, with that word femi like. It, it, where where my family's from, like that's just not a term, right? So that's so it's right. that it's right. in this part of the world, it's feminism. Like there are people in the Middle East that do say that they're feminists, by the way, and there are like feminist movements there, but they picked it up from the West. So that's not a concept that came up. That's the other thing. So it's not in my like history. There is a question here though. First, okay, so mm -hmm. here and too quick. Yes. Flash. I don't yeah. see myself in the media. And so. also, actually, Rebecca, do you mind? I'm going to be a moderator right now. Okay. Can you, um, as someone who is 
is in the me the media. Do you mean the okay, so the question is yeah. about how feminism is portrayed in the media or gender? Yeah, just the co optation of the feminist movement by a media. So do you mean a popular entertainment media? Do you mean a press? Uh, like the Beyonce? Popular. Okay. So, so I'm not sure. Beyonce always makes it to the conversation. <laughs> well, but, but it's really important, right? Yes. So, so there's, there are a bunch of angles of critique, right? One is about that word you used, co-optation, right? And there's, a, there's actually, um, there's been all kinds of great commentary about this. There's, there happens to be a book by Andy Zeisler called We Were Feminists Once that's out mm -hmm. recently, and I haven't read it yet, but it's on exactly this topic that you're curious about. It's about this sort of the past decade has been this sort of popularized feminist um, rebirth, different in technology because, in fact, things like social media have democratized it, I think have amplified uh, uh, the critiques that we're talking about right now, the dissent. Um, but there's also been this glossy, um, you know, whether it means f feminist media, websites, publications, mm -hmm. whether it means television shows that are considered feminist, um, whether it means Beyonce standing in front of the feminist sign at the VMAs, right? And so there is the critique that this is feminism put to capitalist use, which it is, okay? That's, that's, that critique is correct. Um, that it is um, taking this idea that should be for radical alteration of power structures and cementing it as part of the power structure that is taking your money in part by selling versions of femininity, right? There are all kinds of, so that is, that's true. There are also interesting things. The other thing that's true, I was thinking about, you know, your, your, uh, the conversation about women of color doing these things first and then having it co-opted. But, so, I've been writing about unmarried women, and, you know, if you look at marriage patterns through the United States, mid-20th, I mean, it goes back further than this, but just looking very briefly at recent history, mid-20th century, economic conditions created by a white government um, mm. started um, depriving black families of the kinds of economic resources that were being handed over to white families in the middle of the 20th century to make these, uh, you know, white exclusive suburbs in which um, white middle-class women were being urged to marry early. Black marriage rates began to fall in the middle of the 20th century. Um, you, get, you get this differentiation in how white women and black women are marrying that, ends, that, that begins in 1963. You have the feminine mystique bursting out of those white middle-class suburbs, which, by the way, is a repetition of a lot of work done by black women, including Sadie Alexander, who was making the exact same points as Betty Friedan like 30 years earlier about black women and the value of work within hetero marriages. Anyway, then in 1965, two good. years later, you get the Moynihan Report, which diagnoses black poverty as centering around women-led households, basically single black women as the, as the pathological center of black poverty. That moves through the portrayal of single black women as welfare queens in the 1980s through welfare reform in the 1990s. And then in the 1990s, middle-class white women, th this behavior of not early hetero marrying, which was the norm in, in various forms for, throughout our history, that out of, in part out of response to economic conditions and realities, black women have pioneered, right, as, as a way of dealing with um, economic, mm -hmm. economic challenges, is, begins as so many things, like working outside of the home, <laughs> is a behavior that itself begins to be imitated by white middle class women. And at that point, it becomes discernible as liberation, and you get sex in the city. 
mm. right? And you get <laughs> so so you get the Moynihan report to welfare queens to wait, white women are doing it. It is fabulous, and there are cocktails. Okay, so so. Okay, so this is part of, a, there are all kinds of critiques in the media. I will also say that I don't want to just throw out the popularization of mm. feminism. Um, having been raised, as having grown up in the 1980s and 90s in the midst of what was an absolute deep freeze on any conversations mm -hmm. about gender, mm. um, I... It, it is meaningful to me that anyone wants to sell anything <laughs> with the word feminism or wants to urge anyone to look at the world and consider issues of gender and power. And what's more, the fact that we keep coming back to Beyonce, and there's all kinds of critique coming at Beyonce from a million different angles, um, but one of the things that's important about Beyonce doing that is that the conversation we're all having here about how the popular mainstream mm -hmm. vision of what feminism looks like is a white middle class vision. No matter what the work's been done, no matter who invented it, it's all, it has been Gloria Steinem, it's been Betty for Dan, that's mm -hmm. the, When Beyonce got out there in front of that feminism sign mm -hmm. with Chimamanda's words, Mm -hmm. She was, that that's means something. And there are a million interesting and valid and important conversations to be having around Beyonce, power, sexuality, performance, capitalism, all that great. It was also really important to put a big feminist sign, and it is a woman of, a, you know, phenomenal hero, woman of color's body in front of that big label that says feminism. That is a step. It may be a small step, it may be a big step, to reworking the word mm -hmm. and our ideas about who who makes the movement around it. Mm -hmm. One the, you have a question? No. I actually was going to say that was like an awful way to kind of close it. Oh, okay. So, so this, is, this sister back here, I'm sorry, I, I told her, yes. No, it's okay if we're out of time. No, go ahead. Take your moment, Ma. Good fear. Kind of have to participate in capitalism. Yeah. Kind of have to find Speaking a way that, to make. Speaking of that, there's going to be books for sale. <laughs> <laughs> no real talk. There are books for sales after. So let's all practice in that capitalism. I'm sorry. No, it's true. Like you just have to find a way to make it work. Like, I actually, I think it's cool going back to Beyonce and feminism, that feminism is sexy and pop. Mm -hmm. I mean, first it was kale, now it's feminism. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, right? She's doing her I work. I think feminism took over kale. I think yeah. kale was like the thing, and then feminism took over it. All right. But why not? So, kale is a good way to end this. Um, <laughs> no, really, I think uh, there, there's going to be books, and we can mingle for a while and talk amongst okay. ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. We can. Can we? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I th thank you, everyone. I don't. I, I said this on our um, on our pre-call. Um, these last couple of days have been really, really hard. On top of days that were really, really hard. On top of weeks that were really, really hard. On top of a year that was really, really hard. And I needed this. I needed to remember um, that we are bad ass. And. Um, 
So I thank you all. Um, I hope this becomes relentless, this kind of conversation, and the kind of honesty, you know, that, that we don't have time to, you know, the, the shit is over. Like, it, we, ha we just have to, you know, say shit when you want to say shit and say fuck, like, and talk about your fear and talk about who you think is treacherous and talk about where you were cut out. Like, we don't have time to be careful anymore because we're dying, like, literally. So, um, thank you. This is badass. We are all badass, as you, you know, we just rewrote this. Um, and uh, buy books, read books, share books, um, tell our stories. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.